0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome to this Monday edition of Washington Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. Coming up. On Friday, the government regulator in charge, the FDIC, took control of Silicon Valley Bank's assets. And over the weekend, it took control of Signature Bank's assets. Treasury Secretary Yellen and a team of banking regulators have taken action, immediate action, I was President Biden earlier this morning addressing government regulators taking over two failed banks. Silicon Valley Bank closed its doors on Friday, and New York Signature Bank closed over the weekend. Some analysts say the actions by the U.S. Treasury and the FDIC are extraordinary. Are they? We're going to talk about that. And is this evidence of the claim, go woke, go broke? What role did the fiscally questionable ESG standards being pushed by the left play? We'll talk about it later on this edition of Washington Watch. And while the legacy media is downplaying the new select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government, panning it as off to a weak start, last week's hearing on the Twitter files is revealing much more than some may want you to know about.
2: As
3: time went on, we learned that actually there's a whole complex of organizations and NGOs. A lot of them are state-funded. Some of them are entirely state-funded that are sending huge lists of names to these companies. That
1: was journalist Matt Taibbi who testified last week before the Select Committee. That clip was from an interview over the weekend with Dan Bongino. An example of the information coming from the Twitter files via the Select Subcommittee is who is funding this censorship complex.
3: NewsGuard and the Disinformation Index are both U.S. government funded entities who are working to drive advertiser revenue away from disfavored publications and towards the ones that they favor.
1: That was Michael Schellenberger last week before the House Select Subcommittee. Colorado Congressman Ken Bach is already digging into this nugget, calling on Secretary of State Antony Blinken to explain his funding of efforts that are attacking the free speech of Americans. That's coming up later on this edition of Washington Watch. And have you seen it? The Jesus Revolution. You see, the drugs,
0: it's a quest. for what for god how can you not see that there is an entire
1: generation right now searching for god that was a clip from the movie that is making history how is it making history well the director john irwin joins us later to explain Our word for today comes from Jeremiah 44. Behold, I am watching over them for disaster and not for good, the Lord said. All the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end of them. And those who escape, the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, few in number. And all the remnant of Judah who came to the land of Egypt to live shall know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. After the destruction of Jerusalem, the survivors wanted to flee to Egypt despite a clear message from God not to go. They claimed their disobedience and idolatry would lead to their deliverance and delight, but God declared their disobedience to Him would lead to destruction and death. God said, guess whose word will stand? You never want to wager against the word of God. It is God's word, His truth, that will triumph. To join our daily journey through the Bible, go to TonyPerkins.com. House Republicans are helping to bring more accountability to Washington and doing so through various committees and subcommittees, including the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. On Friday, House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan and ranking member of the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation, Ted Cruz, sent a letter to the Federal Trade Commission raising questions about the agency's conduct. The letter came after the Weaponization Subcommittee released an alarming report about the FTC's harassment of Twitter during the time that Elon Musk was working to acquire the company. It also came after Thursday's hearing on the Twitter files, where Republicans dug deeper into what has come to light since Musk's acquisition of Twitter. Is the new subcommittee doing more than just ruffling feathers? I think it is. Joining me now to discuss this is Congresswoman Harriet Hageman. She serves on the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. She represents Wyoming's at large district. Congresswoman, welcome back to Washington Watch.
4: Thank you, Tony, for having me. It's wonderful to be here.
1: Well, let's start off with last week's Twitter file hearing. It was a bit explosive, I think. Uh, It was the second hearing since its creation. What were your takeaways from that hearing
4: a couple of things one is the democrats are no longer pretending about whether they care about the bill of rights or not it was very clear that the members of the uh, of the uh, opposing party does not believe that we have they do not believe that we have a first amendment right to speak they do not believe that we have a first amendment right to hear and as importantly what came out during the course of that hearing was they do not believe that there is a freedom of the press it was stunning to me how they attacked the witnesses both of whom are avowed democrats and supporters or at least voted for joe biden it was a stunning to me at how they attacked everything associated with bringing transparency to what has has, has happened in terms of the federal government weaponizing uh, against conservatives and um you know against the freedom of speech so For me, it was a revelation that we are no longer dealing with an opposition party that agrees with us on certain basic foundational uh, issues, which is that the Bill of Rights are sacrosanct. What we are dealing with is an an opposing party that wants to do away with the civil liberties that are guaranteed to us by that Constitution.
1: That is alarming. uh, When you see a party that is committed to trampling upon First Amendment freedoms, Another takeaway for me as I watched the hearing and uh, read some of the testimony is that the, you know, the FBI's interaction with Twitter, which has been a focal point of uh, the information that's come forward since the Twitter files, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we've seen uh, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission's interactions and uh, what was revealed in the report that came out last week. Uh, Speak to that issue.
4: Well, one of the things that was very interesting is that the way that the FBI went about this was that they would contact Twitter. We know that they did it with the other social media companies as well. We just don't have the records at this point. But they would contact Twitter and they would send an entire list of people that they wanted to have their tweets removed. And Matt Taibbi in your previous clip referred to this. And what they would say is these tweets appear to violate your terms of service. Now, why in the world is a federal agency, and most specifically the FBI, probably the most powerful uh, 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 organization, agency in the country that can go after people for pr- criminally, why in the world would the FBI be concerned about enforcing a company's private term of service? Obviously, the First Amendment is much broader than any term of service between myself and Twitter or myself and Facebook. Yet that's how they convinced convince Twitter to take down these tweets, is they would say these tweets don't appear to be illegal. They don't violate the First Amendment. They don't have any kind of a federal nexus uh, other than that we want them taken down because we disagree with what is being stated. And they use the, term of service, the terms of service to do that. We've also learned that the FTC has been targeting Twitter and Elon Musk since he, uh, since last fall at least Uh, harassing him for his efforts to purchase this company and bring some transparency to what has been going on between these social media companies and the federal government. Uh,
1: that's, That's exactly why this committee is there, the weaponization of the federal government, the government using these agencies to harass the American people. I mean, this is something you would see from... You know, a communist country from Russia, from China, this is happening right here in the United States. Now, I know you're a seasoned attorney. You've taken on the federal government uh, back in your home state of Wyoming. And so I'm, I'm not asking you to prejudge anything. But based upon what you have seen thus far, is there a good chance we're going to see someone held accountable in our government for violating the First Amendment freedoms of Americans?
4: there needs to be somebody held accountable the people who have done this need to be held accountable and it's why i have repeatedly said that we need to not just look at the fbi as an agency we need to be naming names we need to identify the individuals that were involved in this suppression of people's first amendment rights and they need to be prosecuted for their effort to do so the individuals that they targeted should bring a first amendment lawsuit against the federal government under section 1983 And they ought to see damages as well as attorney's fees. So, yes, I want people to be held accountable. I want the agencies to be held accountable. But I want the individuals in those agencies to be held accountable because it is the only way we're going to be able to stop this kind of nonsense
1: in the future. And, of course, some of this being criminal, it's going to be difficult to get the Biden administration to get their Department of Justice to take any action. So we're going to have to look to the courts. Uh, to be the remedy here for the uh, aggrieved parties.
4: That's right. Uh, But again, there are mechanisms, there are avenues to do that, and I am hoping that the people who were targeted by the FBI and other agencies uh, are willing to proceed and bring lawsuits against the the federal government uh, for violation of their First Amendment rights.
1: So what should we be looking for next, Harriet, coming from the uh, the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Government?
4: Well, we continue to delve into these First Amendment issues. Twitter is just one of the companies that they were working with, as I mentioned before. We have U.S. senators that were targeted by the FBI as they attempted to expose what was on the Hunter Biden laptop, most specifically whether whether we know that, that Joe Biden was involved in his involvement with uh, foreign countries and taking funds from foreign countries uh we we have the testimony from tulsi gabbard we also need to be addressing this from the standpoint of surveillance we know that the federal government has been surveilling us on a lot of different levels and one of the ways that they've been doing it is contacting these social media companies and these social media companies without any kind of a a search warrant or any adherence to the fourth amendment have been triggering over uh, personal data so I think surveillance is another issue that we need to look into as to why our federal government has been weaponized against us individually. And again, I know I sound like a broken record, but it is a violation of the, first, of the, of the Constitution of the United States of America for the federal government to be engaging in these behaviors.
1: You have to keep repeating it until people actually hear it and do something with it. So I would say be a broken record. This is so (laughs) fundamental to the future of this country. If we don't get this right, we cannot correct the other problems in our country. So you are absolutely right to focus on this. Now, uh, we just have about a minute and a half left. I want to switch gears very quickly. I want to get your thoughts on the historic bank failure that is making headlines as a member of the anti-woke caucus and also someone known for exposing mismanagement, particularly when it comes to the federal land and wildlife of the federal government. Um, The ESG policies, the wokeness in the banking industry, is that a part of what we see unfolding here?
4: It absolutely is. And the reason that you have a federal government, primarily through agencies and executive order, forcing this ESG and DEI nonsense on the banks is because neither one of these types, this type of, of approach to banking uh, doesn't work. If it was profitable, if it was more profitable than simply looking and following the fiduciary duties that these banks have, they would have been pursuing the ESG stuff without the federal government attempting to force it. So there's a couple of things I wanna say. Number one, I have said for a long time that Democrats destroy everything that they, tr- they touch. And this is an example of that. They have stepped into the financial arena. They're attempting to uh, force a philosophy, an agenda, down our, in, into our banking system to limit our access to capital unless we believe a certain way. Yeah. That's wrong. But something else, this is an example of the government is always trying to fix its last solution. That's what we're dealing with.
1: Yeah. Good stuff, Harriet. Always great to talk to you. Thanks so much, uh, Congresswoman Hegeman, for joining us today.
4: Thank you, Tommy.
1: And keep repeating it. We've got to stop this violation of our First Amendment freedoms. You're absolutely right. All right, folks, more Washington Watch on the other side of the break. Some of this is being funded by your own government, Hawaii.
0: Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said... We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org. bible
5: Learn more at frc.org forward slash life.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Monday. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and check it out. Well, has the Biden administration quietly found a backdoor approach to their failed Ministry of Truth or the Disinformation Governance Board that the Department of Homeland Security had to retreat from after widespread backlash last year? You know, why? Why is the State Department providing funding to an entity that is heavily backed by George Soros, the Global Disinformation Index, Well, here to answer these questions and more is Congressman Ken Buck, who serves on the House Judiciary Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Colorado. Congressman Buck, welcome back to the program. Good to see you.
3: Good to see you, Tony.
1: Now, last week, you sent a letter to the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, on this topic. And it was actually a subject matter in last week's uh, hearing uh, before the uh, select subcommittee. I want to play a clip of Matt uh, Taibbi and what he had to say over the weekend about this uh, kind of network of entities that are out there that you are pressing in on. Play clip number four, please.
3: As time went on, we learned that actually there's a whole complex of organizations and NGOs. A lot of them are state-funded. Some of them are entirely state-funded that are sending huge lists of names to these companies, uh, and, and those. that's the primary route by which people are taken off, uh, places like Twitter or Facebook or um, any social media site.
1: The State Department is funding one of these entities. You're trying to find out more. Tell us about it.
3: Well, I sent a letter to Anthony Blinken last Thursday asking him to explain why the State Department was sending hundreds of thousands of dollars to the Global Disinformation Index. Uh, Tony, even the name is Orwellian, Uh, to think that someone uh, is out there deciding what true speech is and what false speech is. And uh, we don't trust uh, Americans to uh, be able to discern the the truth from uh, false uh, speech. uh, it, It is just really scary. But the State Department is funding this organization. So are other entities in government. And we're looking at those entities also to try to ask for similar information but basically i just send a letter asking the state department how many different units in the state department are funding this organization how much money are, are they spending and why why are they doing this
1: so congressman buck explain to our our viewers and our listeners how this act this entity this information index actually works
3: so what they do is they they send to advertisers and and of course the The uh, bread and butter, the the lifeline for news organizations are are advertisers. And they send to advertisers a list of trusted news sources and of untrusted news sources. The untrusted news sources all happen to be on the right of the political spectrum. They find that the New York Post is untrustworthy. They find that Newsmax is untrustworthy. Uh, Go right down the line uh, with that. But then on the other side, the trusted news sources, you've got the Washington Post, you've got the Huffington Post, you've got BuzzFeed News. Now, BuzzFeed News was promoting the whole false narrative about the Steele dossier in 2020, but they are a trusted news source. So clearly, this is an act of censorship. It's an act that the federal government under the Biden administration is paying an outside group to try to strangle um, to to uh, cut the lifeline, the lifeblood of these news organizations, so they don't get advertisers, so they have to shut down, so they don't get conservative speech out. I mean, Congressman, the way I see it,
1: this would be a flank attack on the First Amendment. I mean, they're it's coming at the First Amendment, Tony. You're right. So we've got our own government funding an attack. These entities, these surrogates, these proxies that are out there fighting against conservative voices. I mean, this has got to be a violation of the Constitution.
3: It is absolutely a violation of the Constitution. The Supreme Court has found that the government can't do indirectly that which it can't do directly. So the government can't put out an index that says these news organizations are untrustworthy, especially when it is so partisan, so political, that they just list all of the uh, right of center news organizations as untrustworthy and the left of Senate news organization as trustworthy so if the government can't do it directly it can't fund this third party group it can't give information to the third party group so that that third party group can do what the government can't do under the Constitution
1: so we were talking in the previous segment with uh, Congresswoman Harriet Hageman uh, about uh, very similar topics here di- a little different but is the only remedy, the only remedy being those aggrieved uh, news entities that are being, you know, maligned by this effort to, to sue the, the State Department, the federal government that's funding them? How can they go about correcting this?
3: Well, they can certainly do that. And, and uh, certainly uh, the, uh, the House and Senate have the power of the purse and can shut down these entities. Obviously, uh, at no point in time did I ever vote to fund a global disinformation index. So the Mm -hmm. the State Department has far too much money. If it's able to just kick $500,000 out to a a third party entity without any uh, congressional oversight, that's a serious problem. But the real answer, Tony, the real answer comes in a year and a half when people yeah. get to the ballot box yeah. and get to vote for president and get to change this administration so that we don't have woke individuals in the cabinet running these agencies and trying to, to censor American speech.
1: That That is absolutely correct. That is the remedy for all this, because I know you're making a list as you Republicans are making a list of all of these things that are being funded by the Biden administration. I mean, it is going to be a free-for-all when you go to the, whether it's the debt ceiling, the, the the appropriations process, there is so much stuff that are outside the boundaries. I'm not sure how you're going to be able to work through the entire list.
3: Well, I tell you, uh, it, it would take a decade to work through the entire list, but certainly getting a start on that is is absolutely critical. And telling the American people, you know what? With Republicans in charge, we're going to be cutting these wasteful programs We're not going to be creating the amount of debt that we have now. We're not going to be raising interest rates because of this huge amount of debt um, and the inflation that it causes. We're not going to be putting more regulatory burden on your back. We get that message out, I think we'll be very successful. A year and
1: a half cannot come too soon. Uh, Ken Buck, great to see you. Thanks so much for taking time to join us on this Monday. Thank you. Well, folks, it really does come down to this. There's such a stark contrast between the two parties when it comes to their policies and how the left, and Harriet made this point earlier, shocking how aggressive the left has become in attacking fundamental freedoms that at one point were beyond, I mean, they were beyond debate among both parties. All right, coming up. The Jesus Revolution movie is still making waves, not just in terms of box office figures, but in lives impacted. The director, John Irwin, joins us next.
5: Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further.
1: for tuning in for this Monday edition of Washington Watch. Great to have you with us. All right, the new film Jesus Revolution is continuing to make an impact with stories of changed lives since it hit the theaters 3 weeks ago. I mentioned it on Friday that if you hadn't seen it, you needed to go see it because it was a fantastic, fantastic movie. And it's it's now going global with plans to open in countries including Singapore, Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand in the weeks to come. So how has God used this film so far? And what else could be ahead? Joining me now to talk about the movie is the director, John Irwin, who, by the way, is the first filmmaker in cinematic history to achieve four A-plus cinema scores, something that even Steven Spielberg hasn't done. John, welcome to Washington Watch. (laughs) I appreciate
6: you having me. And, uh, yeah, I do have four Eight plus cinema scores, but, uh, I'm not as successful hiding from my children. We, we're, we finally, uh, we finally on to the beach after working really hard on the film for three weeks. And so, um, so I don't know, i give this interview about a 30% chance of being cracked by, by a six year old, but, but it's good. Hey. It's good to work really hard on a movie. to get away.
1: That's all right. You deserve a break. Cause I tell you what, the movie was phenomenal. I, uh, the family watched it. We, uh, We said, I mean, it was just great. It was moving. So let's, uh, for those who aren't aware, I've talked about a little bit, but you're the first interview we've done on. How did the story of Jesus Revolution originate?
6: Well, this is the amazing thing about the timing of this movie is I bought uh, the Time Magazine um, uh, cover story on eBay in 2015. I was researching a film called Woodlawn at the time. Before we did, I Can Only Imagine, and I was so moved. You know, About five years earlier, Time had the first um, cover with no picture. It was just a black uh, background, red text, and it said it says, is God dead? Five years later, Jesus is on the cover of Time, and it said the Jesus Revolution, and I was awestruck. I was like, what happened in this five-year period? I'm, I'm a filmmaker, as so I'm curious by nature, and so I read this article at the time. You couldn't find it online. It was this 10-page spread about what, what, what God was doing at an at a incredibly similar time of hopelessness and despair. Um, the word desperate came up a lot. And the more I read, the more I felt, I, can this happen in my generation? Can this happen in my life? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm 40. You know, I, I think I'm what's called a geriatric millennial. You know, I'm year one. <laughs> And, uh, and, and basically, uh, you know, nothing like this has ever happened to us. And the more I studied it, the more I, I wanted to make a movie. So every movie that we've made, I can only imagine, I still believe, American Underdog. Since then, I, I've been wanting to get this movie made, and we tried. So to see just how perfect God's timing is and that the movie came out, you know, as revivals are happening around the nation is so cool. And, uh, and I've never, I love all the movies that we've gotten to make. Um, but I've never seen such an incredibly profound response to a movie and, um, and lives changed uh, as people watch it. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a privilege to to get to bring this movie to the screen right now.
1: Well, there, there's no question it's God's timing and the, and the how it all came about just at that, uh, at this time. And it's a remarkable story. The story is well told. I mean, I, I know Greg, I, I knew Chuck Smith. I spoke in his church. Um, and And so to to know some of those individuals, but not know the whole story that 's what 's so neat about storytelling is that you 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 mm-hmm. actually see and understand the totality of what makes an individual through that life story and i had some I had some favorite shots in the movie, but i I want to ask you what was one of your favorite scenes from the the shoot that really captured you think the heart of the jesus movement
6: Well, by far the favorite moment I've ever had on the set, I think you feel it in the movie, um, is, uh, you know, it takes several miracles to make a movie, but I've never felt a day, like the day we shot the baptisms in this movie. We've, we thought it was very important to go back to the real Pirate's Cove, and we did. And, you know, for a film, that is a very difficult place to go. It's like a crater, very jagged rocks. You have to go up and over to get onto that location. Very difficult. and. Um, and there was just a spiritual power there i've never felt anything like it we had about 400 extras and jonathan roomie who plays jesus in the chosen plays lion in this movie he came up out of the water and said this is real for these people like i'm, I'm doing it exactly like Greg gregory taught me greg had sort of put them all through baptism school you know and uh and things that only pastors know you have to you can throw your back out if you do it wrong greg Laurie wrote the prayer that's in the film and, uh, and basically, uh, Jonathan was saying, I'm doing it just like he taught me. But people are coming up to me and saying, I want to be baptized for real. I've just made a decision for Christ. And I've never felt anything like it. We all felt it that day. There was a level of spiritual power there that I've never experienced in my filmmaking career before. And, and then after that, as we were doing the, the baptism between Jonathan and, and Joel, who plays Greg in the film, the real Greg Laurie was baptizing a member of the cast that, had, that he had struck up a conversation with. Uh, a couple hundred feet away and that was even new and so uh it was just i i think you feel it when you watch the movie you can't power that that is in the movie we felt um on the day and uh, it's so cool to see uh first of all people loving the movie enjoying the movie I, i've never had as much fun watching a movie with a group of people that i've made than jesus revolution but beyond that uh watching people get baptized like in a fountain outside the theater i saw so on social media or praying in the theater or you know in a in a lake the next day or you know and not many people know this but 1972 uh, which was the culminating year of the jesus movement was the most baptisms ever recorded in a single year at least by the southern baptists so wouldn't it be cool if that happened again yeah. and uh, and we beat that record
1: well, John, we're up against the breaks. We're out of time, but I hope to catch up with you and find out what's next for Jesus Revolution. I'll just say this, you know, I, I love music and when I, as pastoring, having a worship leader that truly leads in worship versus a performance in a movie mm-hmm. that tells a God ordained story and not just entertains is all, makes all the difference in the world. And you did That's that with this movie. So John, thank you for thank a job so well done. Much. And uh, thanks for being with us today. I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right, folks, up against a break, but we're coming back with more Washington Watch. Stick with us.
2: What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture?
5: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
1: This is Washington Watch, and I am Tony Perkins, your host. It's good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com, and you can reach me, Tony, at TonyPerkins.com. Always love to hear from our listeners. All right. Over the weekend, the federal government took extraordinary steps to avoid a potential bank crisis after the historic collapse of California-based Silicon Valley Bank on Friday. U.S. regulators said yesterday that they would guarantee all deposits for customers of Silicon Valley Bank. Whose failure is the second largest in U.S. history and the largest since 2008, in that financial crisis. Uh, prior to its collapse, Silicon Valley Bank ranked the 16th largest bank in the U.S. based on assets. So, what triggered this, and what could be the implications of the bank collapse and the government's response? We've uh, we've we've learned to be leery of the government stepping in post the coronavirus. Well, joining me now to talk about this is E.J. Antony, research fellow in regional economics with the Heritage Foundation Center for Data Analysis. E.J., welcome back to uh, Washington Watch.
8: Well, thank you for having me.
1: So for those, uh, you know, that really hadn't been paying attention over the weekend, um, explain exactly what happened. Kind of break that down for us, will you? Certainly. So,
8: we're talking about a bank that essentially put itself into an incredibly risky position. In fact, I would go so far as to say it put itself in a position that doomed it to failure. It was only a matter of time before it would eventually collapse. And that's exactly what happened. So that the bank had more claims uh, for deposits than it actually had money to give to customers. At which point federal regulators stepped in close the bank. And now we have a full-fledged bailout, unfortunately, where people who had money in this bank, which was not guaranteed, now it has become guaranteed, but at taxpayer expense.
1: So you said this was based upon their actions, their policies. It was almost guaranteed to fail. What were they doing?
8: So what they did is they basically relied on interest rates staying incredibly low, more or less forever, which obviously could not happen. Eventually, rates had to rise. And when that happened, uh, they were hit on two sides, both in terms of, of their depositors, who needed to take cash out of the bank as interest rates rose, but then they were also hit from the standpoint of the investments that they had, in other words, where they put their money was also dependent upon low interest rates and as interest rates rose those investments actually lost money so at the very moment that they needed to sell investments in order to get cash to pay depositors those investments had lost value so they could get a minimal amount of cash and they very quickly were upside down or in other
1: words insolvent the EJ um... To me, that just doesn't make sense. Why would they do that? I mean, that, as you said, that, that almost guarantees failure. So why would they do that? Were they not? I mean, did they take their hands off the wheel? Were they distracted by the ESG, the, the woke uh, policies that the left is pushing, that they were more focused on other things rather than their fiduciary duty?
8: Well, I think it speaks volumes when this institution, for example, had a diversity officer, but it hasn't had a risk management officer for the better part of a year. I mean, again, that just speaks volumes about where these people's priorities were. But furthermore, this bank actually had financial instruments which served... Uh, as, as a hedge, essentially, against interest rates going up. In other words, they were protected, but they sold those financial instruments in about December of 2021. So they increased their leverage and increased the riskiness of their position quite knowingly, which, again, is all the more reason why taxpayers should not be bailing out poor management who knew what they were doing and knew the risks which they were assuming.
1: So it goes back to what I said in the open. I mean, we've kind of grown leery of government movements like this because when government goes to bail out, there are unintended consequences, as we've seen with the uh, infusion with the American recovery uh, project of uh, of Biden and these trillions of dollars that have been pumped into the economy that have caused interest rates to go up, inflation to to soar. So, I mean, what might be the unintended consequences here?
8: Oh, goodness, it it is really difficult to overstate the amount of moral hazard that has been created here. In other words, the incentive that we have now provided for bad actions, there's literally zero incentive now for either depositors or banks to care about the safety of deposits. Why? Because the Federal Reserve now will jump in and bail anyone out as soon as things go south. So we are creating more systemic risk not less here. Furthermore, this entire situation was only made possible by the fact that the Federal Reserve kept interest rates far too low for far too long, which flooded the entire system with trillions of dollars of low interest rate bonds, which was one of the key instruments behind uh, all of the banking uh, problems that we're seeing right now in these collapses.
1: So they just kind of assumed this was going to go on forever and we can use this cheap money And uh, there's never going to be a day when things would change. So they, I think, just kind of got lost in in that, not using good economic principles and insight uh, to plot a way forward. So let me ask you this, EJ: We've seen this now with two banks. There's, you know, the 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 industry is unsettled. How how widespread is this? Is this isolated to a few knuckleheads out there with? uh, uh, you know, green eye shades, or is this is this more widespread?
8: Uh, you know what? In terms of how widespread it is, it's a very difficult question to answer because it's more so in terms of the number of banks. In, in terms of the total percentage of of depositors who are at risk that's actually very very small because most depositors are at one of the very large banks and they're extraordinarily well capitalized right now they have a tremendous amount of interest rate risk protection so those deposits really are perfectly safe the problem is these smaller regional banks but I mean, depositors at this point really have nothing to worry about because the Fed has essentially announced that they're just going to step in, again, anytime anything goes south, and they're just going to more or less create the money out of nothing to make everyone whole. I mean, you can only imagine what this is
1: going to do to inflation. Well, you know, that's become the government's approach to everything, and I I, I use another completely different area to analogize but that would be how we've responded to uh, natural disasters i recall back in my home state of louisiana after katrina and uh, you know george w bush was kind of shamed into just throwing um, billions of dollars into that situation in in louisiana and it was not well spent and so now with every subsequent natural disaster the federal government has been there with a blank check And that's part of the reason we have $32 trillion in debt. I mean, this is only going to fuel our national debt.
8: Right, and, and this unfortunately has gotten us into a very vicious cycle where the Federal Reserve needs to reduce interest rates in order to finance all of these trillions of dollars in bailouts. But those low interest rates are precisely what causes the misallocation of investment, which sets the stage for the next crisis. And so as interest rates go up to fight the inflation, which was caused by the low interest rates, those rates rise and they cause the bubbles to burst. And now we are right back where we started, where interest rates go down again for the federal government to spend more money to
1: bail out these bad actors. So is it possible that we'll see um, a change in regulatory uh, procedures by the federal government? I mean, not that that I think is good, but I mean, they're going to have to do something to stymie. The, the, the contagion here by having, as you pointed out, there's no natural incentive to do a good job now because the government's going to f- bail you out no matter what you do. So might we see a, a, another wave of regulation? I mean, it's certainly possible, unfortunately, but it's exactly the
8: opposite of what we need. We don't need more regulation. What we need is to enforce the regulation that's actually on the books, and we need to enforce the rules of the game that are already on the books. For example, deposits are insured, or at least they previously were insured, up to $250,000, and now with this latest move, any amount of money is insured, even though people don't actually pay for that much insurance on their deposits. So what's the end result of that? It's these banks are now going to have to charge more fees to cover the higher insurance premiums from the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. I mean, this once again is just going to be a cost to taxpayers.
1: So I just say it kind of snowballs. Some are making the, you know, the analogy I made reference to earlier 2008. Uh, Do you see this as uh, triggering something or is this just, uh, you know, a few isolated incidents of, uh, of, of stupidity or misguided priorities?
8: You know, this, this does seem widespread, but only among certain classes of financial institutions. And so, again, the large banks, ironically, which were so problematic the last in the last financial crisis, now actually seem like they are in much better shape. And they're actually the ones who are probably going to have to bear a lot of the costs of bailing out these smaller, uh, less regulated, and less well-capitalized institutions.
1: So people don't need to be running to the to the bank to get money to stuff in their mattress. It, 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 we just need to stay the course. Short-term, things are going to be fine. Long-term, we've got to make some changes in, in how we deal with these crises that, that come up. And I, I'll just tell you, as I see it, it's political. I mean, you have the left that deals with it one way, the right. Although I, I will say, you know, in hindsight, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, but even the Trump administration, I think, overreached in its response uh, to the uh, coronavirus by allowing uh, entities and businesses to be shut down uh, and then feeling obliged to bail them out. Uh, we're we're, we're going to be paying that price for decades to come.
8: No, that that is exactly right, it's spot on. And it just goes to show you that this is about policy and not politics here. Both sides have been extraordinarily guilty uh, in, in their fiscal mismanagement and their monetary malfeasance of this situation. And again, every time they do so, it sets us up for the next crisis. And every time they put off the pain by instituting one of these bailouts, it makes the next crisis that much more inevitable and that much worse For taxpayers.
1: Uh, I want to go back, EJ. We've got just a couple minutes left, but I want to go back to to something I I brought up um, just kind of uh, briefly. But that is the environmental, social, and government standards, the ESG standards that uh, many of these woke corporations are pursuing. You mentioned they have a diversity officer, they didn't have a risk management officer. Might this be an opportunity to look under the hood to see if all of these uh, left wing ideas are causing people to take their eye off the ball and, and head down the wrong trail?
8: It's a really, really great point. And if you look at the kinds of businesses that this bank was disproportionately uh, invested in, what we find is these so-called green energy companies. We even find some of them are are Chinese companies. They're not even American companies that we just bailed out in some cases, but they are they are disproportionately uh, things that would be would be, uh, I guess you could say left wing um, it- ideological companies, right? And, and so what we've essentially done here is cylindra, but on steroids, if your audience remembers uh, yeah. that, that infamous company, that green energy company that failed during the Obama years, because these are businesses that, first of all, were financed originally with taxpayer dollars, and now they're being bailed out again, with taxpayer dollars. And so you can look at the companies that have done uh, uh, quite poorly recently. Again, they disproportionately are invested in these so-called green energy technologies, but the coal, oil, natural gas, and nuclear investments, those are humming right along very reliably.
1: Yeah, but they're not the favorite industries of, uh, of this administration. But this is what you have when you have government, um, I wouldn't say involvement. I mean, this is interference, And, I mean, they're picking winners and losers by the policies and and the money that they give to these entities. I mean, we're, we're quickly losing the whole idea of free enterprise and capitalism
8: right they are picking winners and losers and they're also changing the rules of the game in real time I mean no longer are deposits insured up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars deposits are now insured up to infinity there is no limit but what they've done essentially by changing the rules of the game is they're changing the reward for risk management right and so now all of these companies that that were very very prudent are actually being punished they're punishing prudence and they're providing an incentive for insolvency
1: and and the, the the you know the families that are having to pay some of the bank uh, fees are going to be uh, you know part of having to pay the tab for uh, for this. It's going to be harder to do banking. Uh, EJ, Anthony, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Very enlightening, very informative. Uh, appreciate you stopping by today. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Well, folks. Uh, It's some good news. I mean, it's not uh, the widespread contagion that many have been talking about. Of course, And the news, if it bleeds, it leads. They want to scare you. The fear-mongering knows no end. But it does show. It does show how desperately we need to return to responsible policies in this country and not bailing everyone and everything out when they do things that make no sense. All right. Thanks so much for joining me today, and uh, Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow for another edition of Washington Watch. Until then, let me leave you once again with the encouraging word of Apostle Paul. If, well, we've actually I got a little more time left. I was just informed. Ah, I was ready to go out early, but let me finish my thought. We're going to talk some more about this tomorrow. We're going to actually have. Uh, Uh, Warren Davidson, a member of the House Finance Committee, is going to be joining us to talk about what Congress might be doing to address these woke policies, the ESG policies, that are driving some of these bad decisions. So we're going to take a look at that tomorrow as well as some more. So be sure and tune in for another edition of Washington Watch. And in the meantime, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Resources there for you. Follow up with our guest. And you can, uh, let me put another plug while I have 10 seconds left, to join me each morning at 8.44 a.m. for Stand on the Word. You can join me on Facebook or at TonyPerkins.com. All right, now my time is gone. That rarely happens. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means,
0: keep standing.